0: One of the lyric lines in one of the songs we were praising God with this morning has uh, in the line, um, we long to be in a place where we see Christ face to face, something like that. And um, we kind of are envious for our brother, Dave Johnson, who went, on, went to be with the Lord this past week, who um, has that privilege, that amazing Glorious reality of being face to face with Christ right now. And so, we grieve with the family, with Millicent and Andrew, and uh, I know as a church family, we'll be praying for them uh, tomorrow as they uh, say farewell to the to um, to Dave, and um, the funeral will be here at the at the church at ten o'clock. Visitation this afternoon, and tonight um, at Mount Lawn Cemetery. So, I know you'll be praying and participating as you uh, work through this with this family at this time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the precious truth of the gospel. That eternal life belongs to those who, who love the Lord with all of their heart. Who've been saved by his amazing grace. Rescued from our sinfulness and brought into his amazing kingdom of light. Granted eternal life at that second, the transaction is made where the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our lives and changes us. So Father, we thank you for that. We pray this morning now, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, that you would open up our hearts to receive, Lord, make us willing to, to desirous of ap- applying the Word of God in our lives. Father, help us to see the value of, of what you have for us this morning, of eternal value the, 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 the wise among us this morning will heed the word of God and will appropriate it into their lives and with great joy uh, the bread of heaven and uh, will grow and will be nourished and nurture on it and uh, be changed. So Father, I pray that you would by the power of your spirit grant us uh, a fresh enthusiasm an awareness of the privilege it is to be Children of God, saved by his grace, rescued from darkness, indwelt by his holy presence, and changed, being transformed, having Christ formed in us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who wants to be a millionaire? (laughs) Fifteen of you. Probably you thought it was a trick question. I was going to start yelling at you if you put your hand up or something. Or there's some in here who just say, no matter what you do, buddy, I'm not going to to put my hand up. I just have this rebellious heart. You know what I mean? Hey, I think Abraham was a millionaire. David probably was. Solomon certainly was. God's not against millionaires. But I've got something better for you this morning. Because very few of us will ever be able to attain to the millionaire status but there's something God has for every single believer with respect to millionaire he wants you to be a spiritual millionaire in fact a spiritual billionaire gazillionaire I want to show you this morning from God's word how you can be a spiritual millionaire this is for everyone this is for every single believer in here this morning it's not some special status if you are in Christ This is God's will for you. This is his will for you in 2013, that you would be a spiritual millionaire. Galatians chapter 6, starting to read at verse 4. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The, man, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the Word of God. I want to share with you this morning five big free investment tips that come out of this text. Uh, last week, as you know, we talked about, uh, in the beginning of, of chapter 6, we talked about the characteristics and nature of a spirit-filled church is a church that, that uh, doesn't become conceited and envious because it knows. That all the glory belongs to God, nothing that we have or do or ever will do has anything to do with us. It is all from God and what God has given to us and granted to us by his amazing grace. We also discovered that that a spirit-filled community is a community that cares about one another, a community that, that picks up the fallen, that those who have fallen into sinfulness, are not cast aside by us or made to feel bad, but, but we're a community that reaches out to them, intentionally reaches out, and tries to rescue our brothers and sisters and lift them back up, put them back on their feet and get them back in the game, serving the Lord with all of their hearts. We learned that. I think to offset the possibilities that in that teaching, it, it's possible that we might become somewhat sloppy with our lives and figure well it doesn't really matter if I fall apart because the church community is obligated to pick me up over and over again and so I can just sort of be a burden to the church and, and uh, they're obligated to take care of me and I think that the Apostle Paul of course by the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in his life said well I'm not so fast. Each one should test his own actions. Each one is going to be accountable to God. So the first tip that I'll give you for becoming a spiritual gazillionaire is this. Take personal responsibility of your spiritual life. Take personal responsibility. That the church is a caring community and has a caring vision is not an excuse to enable you to become irresponsible in your life. In fact, I think it's very important for us to note this. Each one, this is a very serious statement, each one of you, each one of us, should test his own actions. This word test is the same word that, you, that would be used for um, examining gold to determine how valuable it is, what kind of, uh, of carrot it is. It's, it's the, um, the idea of assaying a medal. It's, it's test the quality of your own actions... In God's name, we live in a time and among a culture that loves to shift the blame from themselves to everything else. It's my gene pool. It's the incidents that I had in the past that have, that have resulted in my inabilities to do this or to do that. You have no idea what I've had to face. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think we all understand that. Most of us have a goofy gene pool. That's just the way it is. Good job my mom and dad aren't here this morning. <laughs> well, wait a second, he listens to this. But, but we, have, um, we, we have, and we have things in our lives and in our background that ver- are as varied as the varied faces sitting in front of me. All of those impact and shape and affect our lives, no question about it. But they are never, ever, ever an excuse to become irresponsible with our spiritual life and say, well, it really doesn't matter. I can't do better. Each one of us, it says, must test our own actions because we will all have to stand someday face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and he won't allow us to have the excuse of our gene pool or the things that happened in our lives, the tough things. Tough things happen to all of us. Each of us are to test our own, and it says here, not comparing to somebody else. We don't look around and say, well, I'm certainly better than the person sitting beside me in the pew this morning. No, we're not comparing. The the standard with which Christ will hold us personally accountable is the law of Christ. Did you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your body? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Regardless of your gene pool, regardless of the incidents that took place in the past that have shaped and impacted and influenced your life, each of us, if we want to be a spiritual gazillionaire, must take personal responsibility for our actions. In fact, I think what... um, um, it says here uh, in verse 5, each of us, therefore, is responsible to carry our own load. So you've got in verse 2 this sharing of burdens one with the other, then all of a sudden now he says we're to share our own load. Is he contradicting himself? No. In fact, in verse 2, it's talking there about the word, the word burdens there as the, those heavy, heavy things in life that come upon us That we're not intended to be carried by ourselves. That's why God has placed us in community. Has placed us in a family. We're to share those heavy burdens. The sinfulness that we fall into. That we can't help ourselves with. And others have to come alongside and help us and lift us up. But this word, load, is in fact the word that would be used for a personal backpack. This is the expectation that that based on what God has given to you, based on your genetics, what God has given to you based on those things that have happened in your life and shaped your life and and, and the, the hard things that you've had to bear, God, all of these things God has allowed to come into your life and has given you a personal assignment on the basis of who you are in Christ. That load you're responsible for personally. You'll be accountable for it. It's your personal burden to bear. Based on the time that you're in, the place that you, places that you're involved in, the circumstances you've had, the gifts that you have, the opportunities that are yours, the people that you bump into. In other words, life designed by God for you. You are personally responsible for. I think John Piper's right when he says, although the basis of your acceptance by God is totally on what Christ has done for you, God's assessment will be on the basis of what we have done with our lives to legitimize that we really belong to Christ. Faithfulness to his expected assignment of us. Where did John Piper and the Apostle Paul get this idea from? They got it from Jesus' teachings. I'm not going to take the time to exhaust the, uh, the, the teachings in this direction, but, but most of you will know that in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus is talking here uh, with respect to talents in the parable of the talents, declaring that people who have five talents, and people who have two talents, people who have one talent, are held responsible for, for what they do on the basis of those talents. Over in John chapter 5, Jesus also teaches with regard to the same, same matter. Verse, chapter 5, verse 22 to 29. I'm just going to look at 28 and 29. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. <coughs> Excuse me. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Simply what Paul is, is recording here. What you, what the, the basis of wh- which the Lord himself is going to uh, um, determine uh, whether or not you have been effective in what you've done is simply on what you did with all that you've been given. That's the teaching here. So take responsibility in this first investment principle. Take responsibility personally. Take stock of your life. If The expectation here is that you will, in fact... Consider your ways. You will test your own actions. You will take inventory of your life. What has God given to me? What opportunities are set before me? What are the talents that I have? What are the opportunities? What's the the, the giftedness that I have? Where has God placed me? What are the circumstances? Take responsibility for what you were designed to be and do. Because God will not entertain excuses for falling short of the load that you were supposed to carry personally. Now, if that's true, and it is, because it's here in God's word, if it's true that we are going to be personally accountable to the Lord himself for how we have engaged in his design for us and what matters to him and what he has commanded us to do, if that's all true, then it would seem to me that we should take our spiritual instruction pretty seriously. That's where he leads us with the second tip here. In verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. I think the second spiritual millionaire tip is this. Get the best spiritual investment counselor you can and gladly pay for it. Now, at the risk of seeming self-serving this morning, what can I do? Paul has just presented verse 6. What, am I to skip it? We are presented throughout Scripture, and I'm, again, not taking the time this morning to, uh, to, take, to look at all of the texts with you, and that's not even exhaustive. But one thing for certain, the Bible is pro-paid biblical instruction. In fact, I I think what we really should see here is that because your soul is so important, you should invest liberally in the value of godly instruction. It just stands to reason. The the expectation here is that spirit-led, spirit-filled people, spirit-filled communities of faith will so value their soul that they will be exceedingly generous ...toward those who develop their spiritual lives. That's what it means here to share all good things with your instructor. Now, all good things are a variety of things. That means to share encouragement. To share your energy and enthusiasm. When the word of God is proclaimed to you... ...how do you share all good things back with your instructor? At least don't forget it by Monday... Know what you've been taught. Value it. Treasure it. Listen, your soul. I um, I guess I'm trying to to portray here the the passion and urgency that I think the Apostle Paul had with the things of God. The things that matter to God are the things that matter to spirit-led people. It's the way, it it, just simply makes sense. that, That you would so value your own eternal soul that you would say, I am not going to risk the instruction that I get. There are so many, reason, uh, so many um, evaluative reasons that people give for, for where they choose to park their bodies in terms of spiritual instruction. And I, I would just urge you on the basis of the word of God that at the very top of the list is spiritual instruction. Is the instruction in God's word. Where are you getting that best where is that being proclaimed to you with truth and, and, and uh, integrity? Uh, the idea of, of putting effort into the Word of God. The idea of, of the feedback from you is minimizing. Minimizing the distractions in your instructor's life so that he can study the Word of God, proclaim the Word of God to you, pray for you. And, and what do I mean by minimizing obst- obstacles and, and distractions? Don't sin. Don't don't do things that distract from the the time spent in in studying and digging in the Word of God. Don't fight with each other. Don't do things that that cause obstacles to occur. And and certainly share in in financial resources as well. So that you can receive the best of prayer and proclamation. In our culture, we, uh, we want the best of our doctors... We want the best of our, of our, of our lawyers. When you have a, a, a case pending against you, you don't go through the yellow pages and say, hey, where could I find the cheapest lawyer possible who graduated in the bottom half of his class? That's the lawyer for me. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't seek, when you have a, a root canal to take care of, say, hey, can I find some guy who really got a, like, half a degree at some half-baked university somewhere who will only charge me a couple of bucks to dig out my tooth? I don't think you're going to do that. So we're talking now about our eternal soul. I mean, if we are willing to invest great riches and effort into the things that only last for time, does it not stand to reason, Paul says here, as spiritual investment, investors, that you would invest heavily in your soul? Get the best? Feed your soul with the best? might have cleared everybody out to another church this morning. We go hunting for the best. On judgment day, listen to me. It will come down to an evaluation of what you did with God's word. It makes sense to me to invest in making sure you knew what the word of God said. So don't try to economize or shortchange yourself or search for bargain instruction or personal ideas that aren't derived from the word of God. In this matter of eternal valuables, I want to point out the third tip this morning. It starts in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There are important truths and promises and intentions here. It starts out this way. Don't think you can make a fool out of God in your investment strategy. You may be able to play hide and seek spiritually with the people sitting around you in the pews this morning. You may be able to pretend that, that you've got something going on spiritual in terms of the investment in eternity. You may be able to fool the people in your neighborhood or at your workplace. But don't be deceived about God. You can't make a fool of God. God sees every detail. Every spiritual investment or lack of investment spiritually is run through the books of God. And he's the sole editor or auditor of those books. So there's this urgent call from Paul again to say i'm not fooling around here with things that really don't matter I'm not talking to you about nice ideas or or um, a, a sweet vision from God that that he sits in heaven." Passing on to his family and, and wishing that maybe some of you would jump on board and, 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 and receive it in your lives. But he's, he's sitting up there saying, but, but most of them won't and I'm okay with that. No, God's not okay with that. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Literally, he won't accept you turning up your nose at his teaching and instruction to you. What you plant, you will harvest. So the third point here is to select investments as if your eternal destiny hangs on every decision. Because I fully believe with all of my heart that the teaching and instruction from here is just that. That every decision you make every single day should be made... ...as if your eternal destiny hangs on it. I'm going to explain to you why I say that from the text. This stuff is as true as the gospel is true. It's God's word. There are unalterable investment rules that God has set up. Unalterable means you can't change them. They are always true. They have always been true... And they will always be true. There are two places to invest. There are two returns. And there are two eternal outcomes. The one who sows to please his sinful nature... ...from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit... ...or plants the things that matter to God... ...from that spirit... ...will reap eternal life. Do you see why I felt free to tell you that every decision you make... ...upon it hangs eternity? Because that's what the presentation is here. We must lose, if we have it... ...we must lose a sort of reckless comfort... ...about a salvation decision we made when we were seven years old. That's an important decision... And for many of us, that was when we received Christ as our Savior. When I was nine years old, I responded to the gospel, received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I've never looked back on that decision. I know I was saved then, and I know I'm saved right now. But I don't take anything for granted on any given day. In other words, I don't, I don't rest on the fact that when I was nine years old, I responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and Paul is teaching us here from God's word that it is an everyday living out the truth of our salvation. That we are spirit filled people. Not by what we say we did when we were nine years old. By, by, but by what we are doing right now living for Christ. So every decision is a salvation decision. Every decision is an eternal life decision. Am I teaching that you can lose your salvation? If you have been given the real thing by Jesus Christ? No. A thousand times, no. He is faithful. He keeps you. But you, the fact that you are being kept is demonstrated by how you live. It's authenticated. It's legitimized. And that's what he's teaching us here. Every investment goes into one of two accounts. If you plant ignoring God, the crop that will be produced will have ignoring God results. And, and I want to I paint the picture for you here, what it says. If you plant to your sinful desires, it says here you will harvest, and the word in the NIV translation is destruction. Now that's a horrible sounding word, but I want to tell you, I want to give you even a more colorful word that dis- is the... Description of this original word. It is also the word not only used for destruction, but it's the word used for decomposing. And I think, in fact, Paul really wanted us to think that way, in spite of the NIV translators. Because when you're talking about flesh, decomposing is perhaps one of the greatest illustrations there are. Do you know what decomposing flesh is like? Have any of you been driving down the road and seen some roadkill and pulled over? I know Calvin does this. Because he wants the pelt. He's already shared this with us. What he has to do is put a clothes peg over his nose because that decomposing flesh stinks. It's rotting away. And in the most graphic of ways, your God wants you to know that if you sow to the sinful desires of your life, you are in effect killing your life. Your life is stinking. Your life is decomposing over against people who are sowing or planting to the things that matter to God. It says here, are being granted a harvest of eternal life. There couldn't be a greater contrast than decomposing flesh and Christ-like living. It's the... Total contrast of the total gap between what it is to to rot your life away, wreck your life, and ruin your life so that life is ebbing away from you even though you're walking around, to this being energized and enriched by Christ's fullness of life. The giver of life grants to you the fullness of what life is. That's the contrast. Doesn't it make you want to go out there and plant stuff that matters to God? Thank you, Mrs. Jeffrey. I know you do. I know you do. Maybe you need um, a little John Stottism to help you to see what this is really all about. Listen to what he says in his um, commentary on Galatians. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, Every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Don't do it. Your body, your life is decomposing. Now many of you said, Pastor Rick, I have been... Giving effort and enthusiasm to the things of God, I've been paying attention to this Galatians series and wanting so much for Christ to be formed in me. And my prayer life is up, my Scripture life is up, my attendance at church life is up, and and uh, I've been reaching out to people and telling them about Jesus, and nothing's happening. Well, I have a fourth. Spiritual investment tip from the text here for you. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Can I tell you just simply this, principle four? Don't give up no matter what. I know it's easier to try and cheat. Blood doping. Steroids. We all have seen it all around ourselves. There's all ways to shortchange and cheat and all of that. But this spiritual investment stuff, there's no get spiritual rich quick schemes. This is work, 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 driven by God's grace. And although we are the kind of people who want predictable results in the time that we want them... Because we're the kind of people who drive up to a little box and say, hey, give me a hamburger and hold the onions, and drive up, and in about 15 seconds, someone hands us the thing we just asked for. We're used to that. We're used to planting into a little beaker box and harvesting in 15 seconds. That's what we like. That's what we know. That's what we expect. It doesn't work that way in spiritual things. It says in the proper time, not your time, not my time. And what is the proper time? God's time is the proper time. This is the promise. If you do not give up, you will harvest. In fact, there's a transfer that is expected here. And this should help you. It says that we are not to get weary in well-doing. So in other words, we shouldn't be saying to each other, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so tired of well-doing. It says, don't get. It says, let us not get weary in well-doing. How do we not get weary in well-doing? There's only one possible way. To be convinced that in the proper time, God will cause a harvest. And so I'm excited about Listen, I go fishing with Pastor Steve once in a while. And I can tell you this. You've got to get up really early. And you've got to have a lot of patience. And he's going to drive that boat all over Lake Ontario until we find some fish. Because at the proper time... If you don't give up, you'll come home with some salmon with that guy. That's just the way the fishermen know this. Farmers know this. They will wait on the harvest. So we want predictability. But this spiritual thing is about providence. It's about God. And God decides. And if you will take hold of this promise, and we look at each other and say, man... There's opposition, there's persecution, there's obstacles, there's hardship, there's sickness. There's everything in the world trying to line itself up against me and trying to make me weary and well-doing. I will not be weary and well-doing. You know why? I'm not weary. I'm enthusiastic because I know that I'm one minute sooner to God giving me harvest. And that's the kind of church we have to be. Let me just tell you a story about William Carey. Keith will like this. He already knows this story. William Carey was a guy who wouldn't quit. William Carey, by the way, was one of the few guys who actually read the same Bible we read. Because everybody around him, all the supposed spiritual leaders around him, didn't agree with his missionary vision. Can you imagine? Young man, when God decides to to convert the pagans, he won't need you or I to help him. What Bible were they reading? Thankfully, William Carey picked up the same Bible we read, which says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll, by the way, be with you always. I'll be the one who goes with you. So William Carey took God at his word. Timothy George, in his commentary, writes this. William Carey arrived in India in 1793 with a burden to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard the name. For seven years, he proclaimed the gospel message faithfully week after week, month after month, with not a single native of India converted to Christ. Can you imagine every week Seven years, not one person responding to the gospel. How many of you would still be there preaching if you were him? Through years of struggle and doubt, Carey was often discouraged but never defeated. To his sisters back home in England, he wrote, I feel as a farmer does about his crop. Sometimes I think the seed is springing and thus I hope a little blasts all and my hopes are gone like a cloud. They were only weeds which appeared. Or if a little corn sprung up it quickly dies. Being either choked with weeds or parched up by the sun of persecution. Yet I still hope in God. And will go forth in his strength. And make mention of his righteousness. Even of his only. Now can you imagine as he's going through this seven years. He's hearing in his ears. Little young man. When God wants to convert the pagans, he won't need the help of you or I. And he's wondering, can you imagine hearing that? He's getting no no response. On December 28th, 1800, Carey baptized in the Ganges River his first Hindu convert. A carpenter named Krishna Pal... William Ward, who witnessed the dramatic deliverance of this man from the grip of paganism into the glorious truth of the gospel, wrote in his diary, Ye gods of stone and clay, did ye not tremble? When in the triune name one soul shook you from his feet as dust. This was the beginning of a mighty harvest of souls that God granted to Kerry and his co-workers at Serampore Mission in India. God says... Do not become weary in well-doing and doing good, for you will reap a harvest if you don't faint. Keith Edwards and myself have preached in the pulpit of William Carey's church 200 years later as a testament to the faithfulness of God and the numbers of souls who've been reached for Jesus Christ because one man took God's word seriously and didn't quit. What kind of people ought we to be? I have one more spiritual investment tip for you this morning. Never allow time to erode your investment enthusiasm, and God guarantees returns on investments that matter to him for sure. So that Bible study class, don't quit. That Sunday school class you're teaching, don't quit. That girls' club you're involved in, don't quit. Inviting your neighbor to Christ, and he said no a thousand times, don't quit. Walking with the weak, praying for your wayward kid, na- your nasty, that nasty coworker that's driving your life crazy. Don't give up. And how can we shape ourselves finally, as those who become spiritual millionaires? Be opportunistic in your investment strategy. Look at what it says in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let me just conclude this way. It starts, first of all, at home with us. Taking every opportunity to do good to each other. What do you have in your hands? What has God blessed you with? What has God given you? What abilities has God given to you? That you can advantage your brothers and sisters for Christ's sake. It starts there. And then it moves on. At every opportunity sits at every business meeting you will have this week. Opportunity sits at every four-way stop in the Durham region. Or every time the road narrows to one lane, I'm feeling very convicted, by the way, as I'm seeing this. The opportunity to do good, that decision moment on the phone doing business, should I do it Christ-like? Should I speak to this person in a kind, gentle manner? every one of us have encountered somebody somewhere who works at a place that we wish we worked at. Because they talk to us and they tell us, let me tell you what it's like at my workplace. Let let me tell you the benefits that I have. Let me tell you the the way people look after me. Let me tell you the way way, um, we're um, encouraged and and the challenges that we have. Let me tell you about what it's like to work. And, And we're like, wish I worked there. That's who we're supposed to be as representatives of Christ. Seizing every opportunity, being opportunistic. Here's a moment to seize for Christ. Here's a decision to seize for Christ. Here's a statement to seize for Christ. Here's an opportunity to to put my arm around somebody in the name of Christ. Every time you do that, you are investing In your eternal investment account. Will you make Christ look good? Or will you make him look greedy? And selfish? And nasty? And mouthy? And uncaring? I want for us, for me... For people who encounter us, wherever, to say, I want to be part of that family. I wish I could be part of that family. I wish I knew what made him tick. I, I wish I knew who his Christ was. I wish I had his Christ. Opportunities to do good are like finding treasure. They really are. When you drive to a four-way stop today or simply leaving our parking lot this morning and you have a decision to make at one of the intersections in our parking lot, would you be like the chipmunks? Oh, you go first. No, by all means, you go. No, after you. Oh, I insist. I insist it be you. Let's just stall the place up with goodness so we don't get out of here and we can stay till tonight. (laughs) Just being nice to each other. That's investing. That's becoming a spiritual millionaire. You won't become rich in God by investing in yourself. Are you? Investing mostly in yourself, I mean. Because that's not what this teaching is about. This is about investing in the things that matter to God. Test your actions. It's a quality control time as we start out this new year. Where are we going? Where are we going as a church? Where are we going as individuals? Draw up a chart. My investments, possibilities, things that matter to God on one side, things that are all about me on the other. And what gets all of your time and your talents and your tunies. Is it the side that matters to you? Or the investment possibilities in the things that matter to God? You want to be rich for time or for eternity? That's what's laid out for us here. So tonight, I want to put a challenge out to you. Because you might say, what practical things could I be doing? What What could I be doing to invest in my eternity investment account? We want to present to you tonight some ideas that have come out of our outreach department. It's tasked Graydon to to, uh, bring to us a a vision of what we could be doing in terms of reaching out, reaching reaching out to lost people, reaching out to our college, reaching out um, in creative ways. Things that you could get on board with. Opportunities to do good to all people. So I encourage you to come back tonight. We've got some teasers out in the lobby Some of our presenters are going to be here, are already out there this morning. You come back tonight. Opportunities to make a difference for God. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would be inclined to be eternal investment investors. I pray, Father, that um, you would build up our hearts with the things that matter to your heart that our goals and our desires would be shaped by what really matters to you, Lord, I pray. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you and present to you a desire from our hearts that you bring opportunities our way. And, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are shrewd, wise, investment-oriented, that Calvary Baptist Church would seize the moment to invest in the things that matter to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you see it? it? I see it. I see this as the greatest year for us to be opportunistic about the things of God. This is our opportunity, 2013, to make an impact for the living Christ. He's going to set opportunities before us. Let's be opportunistic. Let's, as we have opportunity, do good to all people, all the people of Durham region, especially the household of God. Let's start here. Let's work it out here. Let's learn how to do it here. And let's be opportunistic with everything that God gives us. On your way home today, God is going to set before you an opportunity to do good. Do it. You're an investor in eternal investments. You're shrewd. You're smart. You're spirit-filled. Go and serve God with all of your hearts. Father, I pray this morning that we would be those kind of people who settle for nothing less than to be spiritual gazillionaires, not for our own glory's sake, but because you are glorious, because you enable us to do this, and because this is your will for every single believer. This is not something for special people. This is normal Christianity that God's people would sow to the Spirit would plant the things that matter to God and would harvest eternal life. Oh God, may Calvary Baptist Church be the church you can count on to be opportunistic, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.